Casting for Fun podcast, the show that talks about entertainment, sports, music, and inspirational stories for all to enjoy. We're glad that you could join us today. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, here is your host, Albert Pineda. Welcome, everybody, to the Casting for Fun podcast. I am your host, Albert Pineda, and this week's episode is for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023, the 101st episode of the show. Uh, and on this week's episode, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings, the Return of the Kings uh, release, so, which was first released on December 17th. Uh, 2003 so it'll be a few days after technically the, the day that it was actually released but to to commemorate this awesome milestone uh, my good buddy frequent collaborator good friend of the show Eddie Ramirez returns and we talk about all things Lord of the Rings specifically focusing on the Return of the King movie uh, I, you know, I absolutely love love this movie in fact it may be if I were to put together a top five movie list of all time i think this one would rank on there for sure uh this movie is fantastic it's great uh i really wanted to give it a really polished feel so i went ahead and included uh, audio clips from the movie so i think you can really immerse yourself into this episode of the podcast really feel like you're watching it of course there's no substitution from actually for actually watching the movie altogether. so i definitely recommend at this holiday season uh watch all the lord of the rings movies especially return of the king uh and you will not be disappointed <laughs> okay so merry christmas to all the listeners this is going to be the last episode for 2023 uh so the following week i'll be taking the week off just enjoying family time uh for christmas but then coming on january 3rd of 2024 the show will return with uh more episodes new episodes coming in 2024 so i'm looking forward to that in the meantime this is the the 20th anniversary of lord of the rings the return of the king with good friend and frequent collaborate collaborator eddie ramirez So, uh, so joining me tonight uh, for this episode of the show, episode 101, it's Eddie Ramirez, a uh, good friend of the show. Eddie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for uh, bringing me back. Happy to be back. And uh, you are now beyond the 100 episodes. So I'm really excited to be part of the next half of, of the century mark. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for coming on and for being so, such a gracious guest. It's been really cool to, to geek out with you about everything and everything. And it's cool that, you know, we've gotten to talk extensively about Marvel, DC, Star Wars. Uh, one topic that we haven't really touched on significantly is Lord of the Rings. So today is a perfect day to actually sit down and talk about Lord of the Rings, particularly the return of the king. Oh, dude, I'm more than excited. So just bring it on, man. Very nice. Sorry about the little people in the big. <laughs> so it is really cool that it's celebrating its 20th anniversary 20 years ago today on uh december 17 2003 it was released in theaters and yeah I, I think uh the movie going experience is still cool we've had lots of great movies since but at the same time like uh it hasn't quite been as special right like the anticipation for each lord of the rings movie as as we waited in those early 2000 years yeah i i mean it it I, especially after fellowship like just to see that it got done it, as close to the book as maybe you can get was like whoa no way and then it just kind of just cascaded onto the next and the next and those director's cuts as those re-releases were happening it was just like uh oh, give me more let's go back to the world so you yeah. know it, it's been it's been great even with the latest amazon stuff Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and dive into it. So uh, Return of the King, do you remember your experience 20 years ago pretty vividly? I mean, it, it's been great that you've been a frequent guest on the show. And so it's cool that 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, you got to share the experience of uh, being at Disneyland for the premiere of Pirates of the Caribbean, which is great that it was the same year. So do, do you remember uh, uh, you know, a couple months later after seeing Pirates, you got to see Return of the King and what was your experience like? Honestly, like, I, I I just remember being just so stoked, trying to get as much sleep the night before because 
you know, we were ready to do like the whole like midnight showing the next day. It was like it was like a really big deal because, you know, my first book I ever read was The Hobbit, like the kid version of The Hobbit. Yeah. And then I remember I, I went into the actual like adult version, like the I guess like the regular format of it. And then I remember my brother always had the the Lord of the Rings trilogy books, but I never really knew that he had it because until I read The Hobbit, because I didn't recognize the Tolkien, you know, like uh, book cover symbols and the you know the art with that. And then I remember like reading the first two books of that trilogy, and then going to that third, and I was just like, oh my god, like this event, like it, it was a world building on the first one, a little bit of slow start, and then it just kept going and then just to finally see that in, or anything close to that into the into the movies was great i mean i just i was just excited to see how they were going to close out the trilogy in their own take of it and um man i i i remember i saw that movie probably like six times in theaters like in the first week oh like wow. i was i was obsessed mm -hmm. like hours were lost homework was not done <laughs> it, was, it was great i i really do remember having such a good time with that movie um just everything about it i just the visual that it was actually happening and then from beginning to end i mean dude there was some teardroppers in that one oh that there absolutely were and we're definitely going to get to that so, so yeah oh gosh yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah I, I totally agree eddie i mean it was so such a visually compelling movie to watch like you just couldn't take your eyes off of it like i remember one time uh uh, this isn't tied directly to Return of the King. It actually more towards Fellowship. But when Fellowship was released on DVD, uh, so this would have been in 2002. So, you know, the anticipation's high right. for the two towers. I'm at a random, like, uh, Sam's Club. And you know, I'm in the TV section, and they have it playing. And then all of a sudden, it's at the scene when uh, the they're going for the bridge of Casa Doom, and the Balrog is about to appear. But then, like, all of a sudden, like, I'm, I'm standing there watching it on a TV on display at Sam's Club. And then, like, swarms of people just gather around. We got, like, 20 people in the middle of the store just watching oh, the awesome. movie. <laughs> it, it was just a cool experience. And, like, as soon as, you know, spoilers, again, massive spoilers for Return of the King but and all Lord of the Rings. But when when Gandalf, like, has the iconic line of, fly, you fools, I think everybody kind of just oh, yeah. dispersed from that part. But um, I think if we had time, if we weren't there shopping, probably people would have stayed for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Oh gosh! I mean, yeah, I, I, I was just picturing like that moment you were having. I'm, I'm like, I believe it because it's not like now where you just have just you know, oh, I want to see something, go watch a, a YouTube clip or you know, you have your your streaming platforms and things like that. Like it was either you had the DVD or Blu-ray or you didn't. Yeah, do, do you have the right soundtrack for the 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 more modern movies? The TV, like the whole setup was much more like catered to movies and kind of few and far between. So if you didn't have like that colorful TV, like it kind of hurt watching it, knowing that you could have something way better. And I used to do the same thing at like targets. Like I'd be there. I'd go straight to electronic department to see what movie it was playing. And sometimes you just catch in, catch a quick 15 minute <laughs> movie or something. <laughs> So, man, that, that's awesome that you have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. One other cool aspect to consider for the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy is that, yes, yeah. fans absolutely loved it. But what's kind of an interesting and amazing, I think, is that the critics loved it. And, uh, you know, the Hollywood elites loved it so much so that, you know, that it was like Oscar buzz, which is like unheard of for like, you know, fantasy type movies like that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so, so I, a couple of stats I wanted to bring up, an interesting facts about uh, Return of the King. So it's interesting to note that it has the record for the most Oscar wins at 11, tied with uh, the original Ben-Hur and Titanic. And to be honest, I don't think any other movie is going to come close to really catching that record. So. And we're almost, that was all for Return of the King, right? All for Return of the King. Yeah. I think if you go for like all, all, all three of one, I think it has the, the most for any franchise for three movies. Right, right. Yeah, I, I know. I, I remember they had a record like that. I'm just like, never going to be touched. Like, yeah. Especially Return of the King. That, the way it ended was just such a big closer. Oh, it's I really hard to close the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. And then another cool aspect about the movie is that it was the, the only the second movie in history to cross the billion-dollar threshold after Titanic. And since then, there have been several movies to do it. But at the time, I remember it being a big deal that it was like, oh, wow, it, it did a billion dollar box office. That's that's oh, a yeah. achievement for that. Yeah, no, I I mean, the, 
that we've never seen a grander scope up until that point you know like that that was like the view of just the battle or a regular mountain range just looks so massive yeah <laughs> oh very cool man so so what i wanted to do is again like, like we normally do for movies is to kind of like just share random interesting facts about the movie reminisce about favorite scenes things of that nature but i want to try and do something kind of interesting and cool that i've I'm kind of been incorporating into the podcast now and that's actually using actual audio clips. I think it kind of gives it a more polished, more professional sound when people listen to it. Uh, so not just hearing Eddie and I talking about it, but you can actually hear some of what uh, from clips from the movie. I think it'd actually be kind of cool for listeners to hear. Uh, and this ties into the, the first uh, uh, interesting story that I wanted to share. Uh, Eddie, are you familiar with uh, uh, Christopher Lee's story of uh getting stabbed in the back and now he had to kind of school peter jackson about that no oh okay yeah so so in the the extended oh, version okay. of, of the king there's a the, they, they kind of did a a loose adaptation of what happens in the book where grima Wormtongue is like just tired of like being verbally assaulted and like you know right. lasted by by saruman so that he actually stabs him in the back uh you know what i think christopher lee will explain it better so we're gonna try something really cool here on the show we're gonna go ahead and do a uh insert the audio clip right now so let me do that all right christopher lee tell me how that went down <laughs> when worm tongue rises up and comes up behind saruman to stab him um of course it was my job as director to talk to christopher lee and to explain to him what i what i wanted so i started to go into this long explanation about what sort of sound he should make when he got stabbed. I seem to recall that I did say to Peter, have you any idea of what kind of noise happens when somebody is stabbed in the back? And I said, because well, I do. Oh, yeah. it's, not, it's not, ah, I like that. It's because the breath is driven out of your body. He proceeded to sort of talk about some very clandestine part of World War II he used to be in the, the British Secret Service, whatever they were called, the OSS. He seemed to have expert knowledge of exactly the sort of noise that they make, and so I just sort of didn't push the subject any further. I just said, well, you obviously know what to do, Christopher, so I'm sure you'll do it great, and he did. Very cool. So there you have it, man. It's, it's kind of wow. crazy to think that. So I, I knew that, that Christopher Lee had served in the British Secret Service, you know, had been, you know, actually hot. Uh, hunted down Nazis back then during World War II. But it's kind of crazy to think that, uh, you know, when he's telling uh, Peter Jackson, hey, I mean, this is not what people sound like when they get stabbed. This They sound more like this. So it leads me to think that he, either Christopher Lee's been stabbed himself or he killed somebody himself that way. <laughs> so that was thinking. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But, uh, yeah. So like I'm, what Peter Jackson said, too, he's like, well, just, you don't have to go any further. You can just. <laughs> so, I'll let you lead that one. <laughs> so yeah, so oh, it's yeah, it's an interesting story to consider and think about. Yeah, when it comes to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, were there any that stood stood out to you as far as like really really cool uh, uh, stories or interesting facts? I mean, I have a couple more that I want to share. Go for the next one. I I you just threw one out of left field. I was not expecting that one. That was that was really cool. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Man. Sounds good. So another one that I wanted to share, I mean, there'll be more audio clips for, for the listeners coming in. So you please uh, keep in mind for that or stay tuned for that. But um, according to the website, uh, factinate.com, I'm not sure if this is a hundred percent accurate. I do like the story. If it's cool, if it's accurate, cool. But apparently uh, Peter Jackson had given Elijah Wood and Andy Serkis one ring duplicates or that were used in the movie, but didn't tell the other. So, so Elijah Wood, I guess, thought that he came away with a one ring. Andy Serkis thought that he did. And yeah, I know when, when movie wrapping, when movies wrap up and, you know, uh, actors usually take home a prop and they'll give them to them by the director. That's actually a really cool fitting one for both of them to have. Uh, and I would imagine, I mean, I would imagine that old Bilbo actor. So uh, Ian Holm, before he died, he probably got one as well. And maybe even uh, young Bilbo from the Hobbit series. So um, I'm trying to blink on his name. Uh, oh. uh, Martin, Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah, I think yeah. I, he probably got one as well. So I thought I throw out his character cool. name from like from yeah. like Black Widow and Marvel. And yeah. <laughs> so is, is there a prop that you would love to take home, Eddie, if you got a chance to from anything from uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy? I mean, uh, my I don't know. After uh, uh, you know, uh, shout out to Tom Bombadil. He just tossed that away. It wasn't that important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
let's see. I don't know, man. I I I would have uh, just. I definitely would have gone to uh, like uh, right before the. I don't know if I would get the sword that was reforged or the when it was in broken pieces. I oh, feel it. Cool, yeah. I, I feel like um, just a both both versions of it have like really good symbols mm -hmm. like that. Or I'll probably go with uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the the necklace uh, that Bilbo had to show him the light. You, you know, the gift that received by the the elf queen. Oh yeah, oh Frodo, Frodo rather. Oh, Frodo, right, right, right. And uh, uh, it had a name for it. I'm sorry, nerds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I guess but, uh, our nerd critics. I know exactly what yeah, you're Yeah, yeah, my, my, my nerd card is, has been, is not going to get renewed. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, I'm think... brain farting on it. Yeah, oh my gosh. I'm not even going to guess because I'm going to murder <laughs> myself more. Uh, but yeah, I, I would definitely probably have that one just because it's there's just so much behind that. And most of the book, uh, he... You know, he was holding on to that until it was like really needed with Sam and so on. So mm -hmm. um, probably that one would probably be like a like a dark horse for me to take home. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's actually sounds perfect. I probably would go for the the, the sword myself, both uh, either the broken version or the, the reforged version. But yeah, you can't go wrong. In fact, I think uh, Peter, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ian McKellen ended up like taking Gandalf's staff and I, I guess he has it on display at his home. So something oh, that is awesome. I yeah. mean, just seeing that is fantastic. I mean, yeah, yeah. But an interesting story about that. So so John Reese Davies, who plays Gimli, I mean, I mean, it's pretty well known, but that he's actually the, the tallest member of the fellowship. So he would just wear the prosthetic makeup to look like Gimli. Uh, and then the, most of the, the wide angle shots were done with the body double to make him appear like he's um, short. But, but apparently he really hated wearing the prosthetic makeup. So instead of taking home a prop, what he told the filmmakers is that, hey, I want to burn my prosthetics. I want this like done with. So so he actually got to like physically destroy the prosthetics that he had to wear to play Gimli. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a funny story. I, I always... let, let, quick side uh, question with Gimli. Yeah. I, I know like uh, they kind of talk about it in the book, but uh, or in the books, but um, man, did you ever like wonder when you were watching the movie, like how is he keeping up with this elf and human running around the country? Like, yeah. I always took the shot where he was like always within seven feet. Like, I'm like, mm, not about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Like, I, you think back to uh, uh, the two towers when like they're chasing after the Orokai to try and save Mary and Pippin. Right. They would always show Gimli like lagging behind a little bit, but still able to keep up. So, yeah, I always like <laughs> there should be some carrying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta give me one shot. Yeah. <laughs> of them carrying. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So uh another cool scene I thought uh, was you know obviously the end sequence, the black gate where they all march on and um Aragorn has an impassioned speech to both the the Rohan the Rohirrin and the people of the soldiers of Gondor to yeah. fight to fight uh uh this day we fight. It's a really cool speech. But apparently in that desert area, New Zealand. That's where like the New Zealand army had trained the training and there had been like old landmines that hadn't detonated. So they had to get like an actual crew in to make sure that everything was safe and secure. But for me, as like if I'm there as an extra, like thinking, oh, crap, there's like a landmine that could go off. Like, hopefully this thing gets taken care of. So, yeah, dude, I was thinking. Um, OK, so I do remember one thing. I'm not sure if this is for Lord uh, Return of the King or it was probably for uh, Lord of the Rings uh, Fellowship when it first opened. Was uh, uh, I remember Ian McKellen said that um, he and Elijah Wood actually never filmed most of their scenes together, like at all, because they had to do the the sizing of the graphics. Oh so yeah, one, yeah. Would, one would step in, do the role, and then they keep the shot, the angle, and then they have the other one actually step in on another day of shooting or something. Mm -hmm. To actually do their part so i always thought that was like pretty interesting just kind of a little behind the scenes thing where like oh they were never actually really together but yet a lot of the chemistry was actually pretty good oh absolutely yeah and actually and speaking of chemistry so i'm glad you brought that up because that's another point that i wanted to bring up so uh screenwriter for for the entire trilogy uh philippa boyens uh she she would actually spend a lot of time with the cast and apparently so she was just at a karaoke karaoke bar with the cast members and heard billy boy singing and like you know 
she thought like, oh, he's got a great voice. We should really implement this more. So it was kind of interesting that Billy Boyd, who's cast as uh, Pippin in the the movies, uh, turns out he does have in fact a really great singing voice, which would be necessary to really incorporate mm-hmm. some of the elements from the books. So, so the songs that he sings. So a couple things about that. So first and foremost, like I, I heard so many stories of like all the cast members just partying and having fun and really bonding as, as a, like a family, which is really cool to hear about. Like that the four hobbits would go surfing together. They do things like go to a karaoke bar and they're singing karaoke, things of that nature. So for yeah. me, it just seemed like that would have been a really cool job to have just like for a full year, you're living in New Zealand and you're just like butting around and having like the time of your life with like these great people. Yeah, like I remember when I was watching like the you know the documentaries of like the the, the movies like the creating of of the rings. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I think it was, it was called something like that uh, for the documentary. I remember that that was like a big deal because they were all you know they all relocated out there. So for yeah months at a time uh, for most of the cast, especially everyone behind the scenes, because they're obviously building new sets, uh, costumes, and so on. That it was like a huge nucleus of people just knowing each other like that was their family for months at a time mm-hmm. um especially like because in new zealand like i remember um, uh, one of the behind the scene like artists were, was saying like because the high winds were so strong that a lot of the towns that they were making would get literally blown down and they had to like re- literally rebuild up until the moment of do the recording and then be done but then afterwards yeah they would just they basically created little mini towns where they would just all go out, hang out at these little towns and just get to know each other and stuff like that. So it was like really cool to like see like the the artistry like of it of through bonding time, like they actually got to really get to know cast members and just almost invent brand new ways to kind of do scenes uh, with the scale that they were trying to go for. It was really cool to see like that documentary. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally, totally agree, Eddie. And then speaking of like, you know, the artistry that goes into it. So I want to show another clip or play, I guess, for for those listening, you're going to be hearing a clip of maybe one of my favorite scenes from the whole movie. It's just a beautifully tragic scene. So for those who don't know, so so Billy Boyd is because of his singing chops, you know, as, as Pippin, he's singing a song for Denethor. And this actually happens in the book, like the specific song that he sings right. uh, about like, you know, it, it kind of leads into the, the scene that we're seeing because Denethor was just a complete jerk to his son Faramir, just totally down, downing him that, you know, you're not as good as your brother. You'll never be as good as him. Like, and then just the, the Faramir and the other Gundor soldiers trying to take back the city Oskiliath, I think that was uh, taken. And then, yeah. so the whole scene just plays out beautifully done with, with Billy Boyd singing, the the imagery and then just uh even little subtle things like denethor just chomping on like you know like grapes or tomatoes and like the juice coming out to signify like the blood that these guys have just been massacred in in this like beautifully tragic scene so again it's not going to do it justice for those who aren't visually seeing it but i do want to kind of play the the audio so you can actually get a, a taste of that song and that how that emotional that scene was Can you sing, Master Hobbit? Well, yes. At least, well enough for my own people. But we have no songs for great halls and evil times. And why should your songs be unfit for my halls? Come, sing me a song. Home is behind the world ahead And there are many paths to tread Through shadow to the edge of night Until the stars are all And shadow, cloud and shade, all shall fade. 
Perfect, man. So you know yeah. what? It's it's scenes like that that really show why these movies were all like Oscar caliber rate movies. You know, just uh, it has the action, it has the humor, but then you have like really dramatic, like intense scenes like that. So it was just you know beautifully, perfectly done. I mean, again, just I mean, preaching to the choir. I'm sure everybody listening knows how awesome Lord of the Rings movies are, but again, it's uh, as we're honoring it for its 20th anniversary. I think just going back and reflecting on scenes like that, it's just really, really. Uh, uh, meaningful for for all of us as fans i feel yeah i i think the the beautiful thing about like this trilogy is that you know the fellowship was broken very early on into the movie um it just the the way it just worked out and just to still be able to follow a lot of the characters and to see their growth and where they end up and what kind of resolutions each of them had to kind of represent you know whether if it was um you know, their their past was through sacrifice, loyalty, love. You know, there's so many, like, everyone kind of had, like, their own theme. Um, I I, I, th- I do like how they were able to bring that all together and affect other characters that were part of that um, fellowship group. So, like, you know, even Gandalf, you know, so many times throughout the, the trilogy, you know, he, there was always that glimmer of hope because he still believed that. Frodo and Sam were still out there. So that was always like his faith in something like beyond like the tangibles of the moment or whatever. And, you know, that's the same thing with like the other hobbits too. Like you had one that always felt he wasn't good enough. The other one felt like he was so brash. And then it was like, they kind of come full circle in the end about, um, you know, what, what the real meaning is, like what is really war about things like that. So it's definitely beautiful that they included like these different sides of the same characters. It's not just, oh, this is the annoying one. Oh, this is the one that's always unsure of himself. Like, no, they actually weren't just two full characters. Like they were actually very complex. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally agree. And again, it's just another testament to how uh, amazing like, Peter Jackson, his team were in putting together these movies. Um, you know, and then on the subject of Peter Jackson and like, you know, the craft that he did for the movie, uh, a concept or, uh, or basically an interesting fact from the movie that I found was interesting. And it kind of has uh, application in today's filmmaking, too, is the fact that uh, allegedly Peter Jackson didn't like the concept or the idea of the army of the dead. Uh, you know, basically, so the army that comes in to help the Gundor win the, the battle of, uh, of Minas Tirith. Just yeah. to save everybody so i guess he i don't know he didn't specific according to the articles i read it didn't specifically state why he didn't like it uh i guess if you look at it from uh, a battle sequence uh, standpoint like it's kind of like it's it's too easy because the 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 army of the dead the ghosts can just easily wipe everyone out um and then it was never really kind of explained that that isildur had magic powers to control uh people so that they were b- bound to have to uh follow isildur's heir uh, so I can understand maybe reservations about that particular sequence, but he used it nonetheless. Uh, right. And the reason that was stated that he would use it was to actually uh, appeal to the fans and basically make sure that, yes, I, I'm going to take certain liberties with the movie. Like, you know, Eddie, as you had mentioned, uh, Tom Mamba does cut out altogether. But the fact that that particular sequence, he said, no, I can't take it out. I have to make the, sure that the fans are happy. Uh, it's a really cool uh aspect or thing to consider from the filmmaking standpoint because we have someone like peter jackson who i think he he cherishes the fans and he honors and respects the fans and says hey uh, i'm gonna do me i'm gonna make some changes but i want to make sure that the fans are happy and that's why i'm going to re- include this particular concept even if he's not particularly a fan of it if that makes any sense yeah um i mean i think from a creative point of view when I, and I think this kind of speaks to depending on the director's approach to like movies, like they always want to try to keep it grounded, a little realistic, relatable. So having that um, aspect of the movie from the book does kind of make it more fantasy now. Um, you know, if you kind of compare it to like most of what he had shot up until that point. So, yes, we see orcs, but they are humanoids, you know, they are it's a little more believable in a sense to kind of get captured in that. But once you start putting ghosts and flying around, it is kind of a harder sell. It's, yeah. I guess in that way. So I can see that, but it's so essential from the book. It's part of, you know, uh, Aragon's growth as, you know, becoming King and, and what that meant 
I mean, hey, we didn't get a talking pony. So, <laughs> you know, like there are little things along the way that they think maybe they included the character or visual of certain things from the book, but they didn't give them maybe magical powers like Aragon was supposed to have. You know, there, there were things that they excluded to kind of keep it grounded mm-hmm. because and then uh, you kind of you, I think the, the then what would happen is like the audience will start questioning that and not focus on the story too much yeah and so i can see maybe the reservations he probably had on that but for sure i'm glad they had it um i remember one of my friends uh he was like oh why do they just have the ghost from the beginning you know and i'm (laughs) like and i i bring that up for this conversation because i'm sure people uh that were just casual fans just watching the movies that read the books that's what they would say and i think that's what he was probably worried about Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But for those who, again, who followed it very closely and, and knew what was going on, you would, I guess, understand or at least know from at least what we get with the movie that uh, it was only when they saw the the reforged sword. Uh, right. That, hey, right. that is, in fact, the 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 heir of Isildur. We have to listen mm-hmm. to him kind of thing. So and then everything that took to get to that point where, you know, they have the scene earlier where Arwen explains to uh, Elrod why they have to reforge the sword. I'm, I'm dying. There's nothing you can do to save me. Aragorn has to be king. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all interesting. It's, it's really cool, really cool. And then also, like I mentioned before, just that that Peter Jackson actually cares for the fans. I mean, I don't want to mean this as a dig for for other people. I can go into a whole tangent, I guess. Or <laughs> he can go into a whole tangent. Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I think also kind of a nod of fans, too. He even did say, I remember one of the documentaries was, that's why he also did the extended cuts. Yeah. Um, that This was also a way outside of just because it's just too long of a movie to just throw out uh, for the exposition that he was trying to show. Because mm-hmm. you can only do so much. I mean, these books are so dense. Yeah. It's like, um, I, I did appreciate the extended cuts because it did add a little extra, like, Oh, I do remember that from the book. Oh, he did say that. So it was nice that those were added. I mean, remember the orcs when they leave. Um, oh my gosh, um, it's the the living forest. Oh, uh, Fangorn, Fangorn. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, when the orcs run in there, I mean, they all get eaten up and beat, you know, from from the the living forest. So it's like they added that kind of at the end mm-hmm. of. Uh, um, two towers so that was kind of nice like i was like oh they finally added even though it was like a, a little distant shot but yeah if you know you know kind of thing so that mm-hmm. was nice that they added that yeah very cool very cool and you know and actually it, what also i think is kind of cool about the you know uh doing it for the fans and you know getting the fans involved which is a cool thing that a lot of filmmakers should look into is that there was an open casting call in new zealand uh to be part of the Rohirrim uh army so the army that gets to ride right in and right. like save uh, uh, Gundor from the 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 orcs who are invading. Uh, the only condition, what I read online, is that you actually had to know how to ride a horse. But if you did, you can actually get in there and hey, you're in the movie. If you can ride a horse, and you're willing to show up, so that would have been pretty cool. I think. I mean, I don't know how to ride a horse, so I could never do it. But <laughs> but uh, the fact that he was willing to kind of have that, especially to like New Zealand, open up their their doors for for them, yeah. like. That was basically everyone's second home. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool that they were able to do that for a lot of the locals out there. I, I do remember they mentioned that. Um, oh, my God. I have to look at the documentary name because I keep bringing it up as a reference. I just remember it off memory uh-huh. um, that they did bring that up as a as a thing, especially in uh, the Rohiri and when they were doing the initial casting calls in the for the Twin Towers. Like they, they needed some extras because, yes, there is CGI to add more to mm-hmm. every shot. But they always had, like, in every scene, like, an actual probably cast of 30. Um, like, the primary cast and then an extra, like, the extras would be, like, 20, sometimes 30 people just riding horses. Mm-hmm. And they just dress them all up. I think that's really cool to just, hey, like, I'm in the movie. But, you know, finding the credits all the way down there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, to, to do the combination of like uh, uh, practical effects combined with CGI, I think gives it a really cool, awesome feel and look to it. Uh, whereas, I mean, if it's too computerized, you can kind of tell. And I think it's like yeah. certain complaints about that. So again, the the care and uh, effort they went into making these movies. Again, I'll just keep saying it, it's just fantastic and amazing. Honestly, the, I think the most impressive prosthetics I've ever seen came out of those Urukai and 
like just the orcs in general whenever they would have you know like uh shots of the orcs even close-ups like yes we know they don't exist but man like they really did a, such a good job like it didn't look cheesy to me mm-hmm. um even the facial expressions whenever they would speak or uh maybe kind of frown or scold like a human like it was so well done so the you know design team of, of those three movies were fantastic oh absolutely yeah so so i want to show two more clips about just uh how amazing the acting was from the from these movies and just how emotional the impact of uh lines delivered and the visuals you're seeing it's just uh just a work of art watching these movies so again one more two scenes that i want to share uh the first i think a lot of people will probably recognize if you if you know me you probably well, no, this is one of maybe my all-time favorite scenes in all of cinema. And I um, mean, get get your tissue box ready because this is actually a little bit of a ter- tearjerker scene. It's the scene when uh, uh, Frodo and Sam are trying to make their, their last mount up to Mount Doom and Frodo just gives up. I just can't do it anymore. And then Sam being the absolute loyal best friend that he is, I mean... He's, he's we the guy all need a Sam in our lives. That's all. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so let me go ahead and play that, that clip for you here. Do you remember the Shire, Mr. Furlong? It'll be spring soon. The orchards will be in blossom. And the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. And they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields. And eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Oh, Sam, I can't recall the taste of food. Nor the, the sound of water. Nor the touch of grass. I'm, I'm naked in the dark. There's, there's nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him. My waking eyes! Then let us be rid of it! Once and for all! Come on, Mr. Frodo! I can't carry it for you! But I can carry you! Come on! So there you go. I mean, no matter how many times I watch that scene, yeah. I just teary. I just the most emotional, like uh, inspirational thing you'll ever see, like in any movie. So, <laughs> yeah, I. Okay, so here are the two for sure. If I'm in a quiet setting, I have time and I'm being rushed watching these movies, especially um, if I can cram all three in one day, which I've done plenty. Mm-hmm. Is um, so Sam is responsible for making me cry twice. <laughs> uh, like for sure like these are automatic my annual crying moments is uh, fellowship when he uh, when he refuses to be left behind by Frodo and then he'll go he'll he'll swim Frodo saves him from drowning and then that whole scene right there I duh, I got, just turn on the waterworks so that one and then um, Frodo's goodbye at the end of uh, Return of the King mm-hmm. So when they're on the when they're at the bay, uh, and then he does his goodbye. That scene with, uh, with the group, and especially with Sam, that's like the, the cherry on top. That part gets me because you also have Bilbo there, and what he what Bilbo represents. Um, you know, to me, I think it's I also include you know because I read, um, uh, you know, uh, The Hobbit. So that little added inheritance of like emotions of that you know, what that book meant. So that goodbye is also like goodbye to the world for me. Mm-hmm. So whenever that hits, it's like, oh my God, we're leaving. And, you know, they're all crying for it because they aren't going to see each other. And I'm crying because this movie is about to end in like 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, those are two strong scenes. Uh, that one being in uh, Return to King for sure. So those those are some good callback scenes. Like it just hits. Like it just does. Uh, 
when you appreciate the group and where the struggles they went through and all their resolves, like that goodbye scene is, is like everything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree, Eddie. And then uh, one more, one more clip that I wanted to show. This one's also one of my favorites. It's uh, with Aragorn being crowned as king and, you know, we we see the hobbits there and everything comes full circle. Yeah, you know, they're they're shirelings. They're like no, nobody cares who hobbits are to all right. of a sudden gaining like the, the admiration and respect from like everyone in the kingdom of Gondor. So uh, one more, one more clip. Here we go. just perfect it's got all the the feels just like <laughs> elijah wood sells it man oh, he that guy has the look for all those shots mm-hmm. he sells those moments so well he just has like this like like ah look when it with you know like he the way he expresses himself it really sells it man because frodo really feel, always has felt like out of place you know it's just mm-hmm. and then in that moment it's kind of like you know like how do i accept this still you know you see it oh absolutely yeah and then you know for all these emotional scenes that we're talking about and sharing audio clips for here in the movie i mean don't forget to all the listeners i mean the the action sequence you see here among like the best you'll ever see in any like hollywood production it's just so thrilling and exciting and and sometimes even kind of (laughs) gory but again everything about the lord of the rings trilogy is just fantastic and great and uh yeah i mean i I especially love return of the king so just to just down and talk about it for it's 20th anniversary anniversary it's been such a blast for me eddie uh that was kind of all the clips and talking points i had uh did you have anything else you'd like to share i mean i want to make sure you have plenty of time to to share your favorite parts about the movie oh um well i kind of mentioned like the the goodbye scene at the end yeah. uh that one to me uh that that was like a that was like a big one i i think from there like i've always felt for fairbeer um Faramir was, was, I always felt bad for him. So, like, one of the scenes with him is um, obviously when um, he talks about Boromir and the relationship he had with him. They, I I do wish they touched on it a little more because it was, like, that was such a, a big thing. Like, because Boromir was, was a big deal, but he always loved his brother. So, for Faramir to still feel that big, daunting shadow of him, uh, even as he got more focused in that book and the movie itself, like it was always, it was nice to finally see like Fairman find his, his happiness and, you know, just kind of like, all right, time to move forward, you know, with that. So um, I think the, the biggest one was uh, when he talks to, uh, when he just makes this kind of reveal, like, Hey, like I am Boromir's brother um, to the, to the two hobbits. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like a big, big thing because from there it was just kind of setting the tone of like you know his path and what you're going to start seeing in the rest of the movie and how he kind of has to like overcome like <laughs> the worst abuse of a father can give man <laughs> like this is horrible but you know so i'm glad he over he overcame that too those were like some biggies for me like i was so interested in that Oh, me too. Yeah. In fact, actually, I, I love that the extended version of the, the Return of the King yes. incorporates the, the Houses of the Healing uh, sequence. Uh, yes. Because, I mean, you, uh-huh. you watch the movies and like, you kind of you, you feel bad for Faramir, who kind of gets the shaft. But uh, Eowyn kind of gets the shaft, too. Like, you know, I mean, you're not Arwen, so Aragorn's not going to go for you. But yeah, to see her uh, get her moment yeah. and then for, to see them kind of blossom and develop their relationships. Really cool. It is brief. So I can understand that. I mean, the main focus would be on Aragorn and Arwen. Of course. But it is kind of cool to get that sequence into the movie as well. Yeah, I was really happy, especially, yeah, like you said, perfect 
uh, bring up is like Sammy Cut because when they did give him that little extra like few minutes just to kind of um you know add some some depth to the character like that those two brothers are such an interesting like setup I I really did like how they how they try to like portray them in the in the movies and you know if it especially if you really like like I'm a big fan of Boromir so to see you know like how Boromir kind of redeemed himself. And then for Faramir to finally get that closure about his brother, like, was really nice too. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome, man. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, honestly, like, I can really nerd out right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I know we're just doing the the twenty celebration, and and it deserves that recognition. I mean, this movie, uh, like, ha- had a big effect. I mean, all three really, like. If if you're a fan of the books or just the movies, like this has such a culture impact, like on what movies can be on grand scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so many movies since have tried to copy Lord of the Rings in some way, especially Return of the King. Um, so just to see how its influence is still there to this day and how it changed from from grand scope to small scope of just exposition in movies is impressive and. I mean, the only trilogy to me to this day, I mean, there's probably some other ones, but like Godfather's probably the only one where I can feel like you don't need a war or an action scene in every five minutes of the of the movie to just make a huge impact, you know? And that's what this was. It was such a good building uh, of a movie. And then whenever you have a a scene uh, that involves some sword, swords and shields or whatever, like there was so much more meaning behind it. So... You know, for me, like Return of the King was like such a, I, I think as good as you can do to close out a trilogy. It's really impressive what they did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, last thing I can remember hearing, I mean, I don't know if you heard this story as well, Eddie, but that they were going to be potentially developing uh four phage stuff with, with Peter Jackson returning. Did you, I, I heard that once, but I haven't heard anything since. So I don't know if you know a little more about that. Um. No, uh, honestly, outside of the, the what the show's trying to do, mm-hmm. um, I haven't heard much beyond that. I just know that, you know, they they've had a little bit of a hiccup with the first season, and I know Amazon is really trying to like get it right on the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all I was kind of like paying attention to. But other than that, like, no, I haven't really heard much. Oh, okay, I think it's kind of one of those stories that just quietly was announced and, and nothing's really been revealed since. So hopefully we get some information soon. But yeah, my mean, understanding is that they were going to be working on uh, four-page material, potentially a new trilogy of movies with Peter Jackson and his team returning. Uh, mm-hmm. Which again, even though I, I'll admit, I, I understand there's faults with uh, The Rings of Power. I firstly enjoyed it. But uh, having Peter Jackson and his team involved in some capacity, I think could actually make lots of people really, really happy. So, well, we'll see what the future holds for the Lord of the Rings franchise. Yeah, I think um, I th- there, I mean, I remember hearing, you know, something like that, like way back. But then I thought maybe that's what the show is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. That's why I was like, mm, I'm not sure, because maybe the show can make or break middle earth now that's yeah. kind of like the good and bad about mm-hmm. when you do like shows or <clears throat> like kind of a like an offshoot movie in the same yeah. world mm-hmm. is that not so much trying to taint with the good because you can always just go back and watch the good movies you know yeah. but um maybe what whatever becomes of the show will kind of determine what peter jackson does because now you have to kind of have some breathing room between what the show does and what you do back in middle earth so that way people don't maybe like kind of mix it thinking you know the general audience is like oh is that all the same stuff or not so you know sometimes that can be an issue like star wars or marvel shows and stuff like that yeah yeah well yeah all ips have to deal with things of that nature so yeah but the good news is for me man I, i i nerd out on that stuff yeah <laughs> the good news is is that no matter what happens for the future i mean we always have these trilogy of movies they're always gonna yes. be there. it's it's fantastic it's going awesome to go back and rewatch it in fact it age like being said, i think i want to go back and rewatch all three so <laughs> no they age like wine like especially yeah. right now during the holidays i think it's if you have time i've always loved watching movies like whether it's like old school bond movies or it's something about that you know i remember growing up the reruns would be playing on like tnt or something like that 
where they would have Bond movies or even Lord of the Rings. Uh, they would play like these movies like on TV. And it's, I just remember it was like a, such a nice pastime. So if they're available, you just, you know, if you have the old uh, 4Ks or if you just got it on your streaming platform, just watch those. You can't go wrong. They age so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely no coincidence that all three of the, the Lord of the Rings movies and the three Hobbit movies were all released at Christmas time in their various years. So, yeah, I mean, it's the perfect time to sit down and, and watch it with your family and enjoy the awesome entertainment that's available to us. Definitely. Very cool. Well, if there's nothing else. We'll go ahead and wrap up. But, uh, yeah, for all the listeners, I mean, watch Return of the King uh, celebrate its 20th anniversary and uh, looking forward to many more cool episodes of the Casting for Fun podcast. So thank you, Eddie, for coming on again. I really appreciate it. Of course. And uh, shout out to all the nerds. Uh, my nerd card is not going to be revoked. It's called the Evan Star Necklace. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Very cool, man. Okay. Thanks, Eddie. Okay. You've been listening to the Casting for Fun podcast. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>